Whole Man Academy. Because the world needs strong men. Whole Man Academy is changing the game for men around the world. It's for guys who want to live an epic life of fun and adventure, no matter what. We believe deep down, all men want to go on their own hero's journey to becoming resilient, confident, fearless, and fulfilled. Listening to be inspired by guys who don't settle for living a life of mediocrity. This is your call to action and call to adventure. Are you ready? Okay, so this is the Whole Man Academy podcast, episode 96. My guest today is Paul Miners. Uh, what is he? Productivity blogger, virtual consultant, father. I talk of him as a man of action and a man of freedom because of what he's done in his life. Uh, so for, firstly, how are you and where are you? Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, Anthony. Um, so I'm doing pretty good today. Can't, can't complain. And uh, I'm calling in from Auckland, New Zealand. So it's Wednesday morning here. I'm coming to you from the future. Good book. Yeah, I, mean, I was trying to think whether it was, I, I, I'm still getting my time zones worked out. Um, and, you know, where I've been interviewing more guys from around the world, the fun of trying to make sure that someone's, you know, well, I've got the right time zones. But I mean, you just talked about it's early morning there. We're going to get on to the productivity because I shared one of your blog posts today on our e-letter, which was about um, the importance or how, how powerful it could be to get up early to get stuff done, you know, to be productive. Yeah. Um, but let me just take you back firstly to... Um, because I think you've got a great story back to like 2012, where you said um, that you read like the four hour work week um, by Tim Ferriss. And then in September of 2012, I was reading where you said you bought a domain name and you started blogging. And this is the important thing from where you are now, started blogging about nothing in particular, random ideas mostly. And you said, uh, you know, have a look at the early posts, they're crap. So what got you into that to start with, to even buy a domain and kind of, you know, want to uh, take this path? Yeah, great question. It's um, it's actually crazy thinking it must be, yeah, like 10 years you've actually made me realize, wow, it's been like <laughs> 10 years of this year. So no, I mean, I mean, at the time I was at university. In fact, so it must have been early 2012. Yeah, I think I read the four-hour work week for the first time. I was studying business and majoring in marketing and entrepreneurship at university. And so I was, I was always that was with the end goal in in mind of trying to work for myself just be um run my own company and at the time actually I wanted to run like a like a big business I wanted to do like you know obviously social media was booming and lots of money going into tech so I thought I'd do something kind of like have a big company and I read the four hour work week and that really opened my eyes to this idea of running like a lifestyle business you know one where you don't have to work ridiculous hours you don't even have to make much money like what Tim Ferriss talks about is like if you actually plan out what you want to do like how you want to spend your time what you want to have like if you want to have a house or a car like what are the things that you want and uh, and 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 kind of plan the costs related to those he actually breaks down that the things you want and, and how you want to spend your time probably doesn't cost as much as you think and mm. and uh, running a lifestyle and so this really opened my ideas to running a lifestyle business and since then I've read the four hour work week every couple of years just as a refresher and so um yeah I'd, I'd read the book how the how the um blog came about is I was actually having a dinner with um kind of a mentor at the time who said he just we were just having a dinner it was really just a passing comment he just said oh you guys uh, my friend was there as well he was kind of a bit of a mentor to both of us he said um you guys need to buy your name you know paulminers.com it's just everyone should have their own name as a domain so anyone listening today or watching 
if you don't have your name.com, um, try and get it because you just never know what you might want to do. So it was a really kind of just like fleeting passing comment. And I thought, okay, yeah, let's go and see if it's available. And it was. And so I just grabbed it and I thought, well, okay, let me just start blogging and, and just figuring out WordPress just as a bit of a side project hobby, really. And so I was talking about some random stuff, but then I, I, I started gravitating towards productivity because it was a topic that I was interested in. And I thought, well, maybe there's some way I could monetize this, uh, this passion, this skill that I have uh, and, and be sort of an authority in, around productivity. And, I, and, and productivity was interesting to me because at the time I was, you know, I was finishing up university and, and it was really where I was starting to experiment with and test different productivity habits, you know, time blocking on my calendar. And so that was a that was when I was testing all these different ideas and I, I naturally started working out how can I be more efficient because at university it was when it was a moment for me when you really, you really had to be more disciplined with how you spent your time, like compared to being at school where you've got a timetable and the, the teachers are kind of chasing you with, in terms of getting assignments handed in and stuff. At university, I don't know how it compares in the UK. I imagine it's similar, but like you're very much on your own. Nobody's chasing you to come to class. Nobody's going to bother you to get the assignment done. And if, if you don't kind of hold yourself accountable, nobody else is. So it was this kind of time in my life where I was kind of really realizing the importance of being self-sufficient being disciplined with my time and and that then turned into sort of the productivity blog um but yeah that's kind of how it all got started really yeah i think it's great because i know you're um reading the numbers i mean how many people roughly have you got on your email list now i think i've got about um twenty-five thousand ish 20 to twenty-five thousand subscribers i actually, actually used to have a lot more but i've i've actually culled that back you know just cleaning my list of colder subscribe uh, um you know inactive subscribers so about twenty five thousand now yeah i'm interested in all this because i was so green to all of this stuff for my you know years of working uh, as an employee and you know i turned up did my job went home and and that was it so suddenly when i was thrust into <laughs> the world of the whole man academy setting up you know and you've got subscribers and you've got you know now and again you get an odd unsubscriber and, it, and it's funny you might get five subscribers in a day but you have the one unsubscriber and you feel the pain of the one unsubscriber you're like what did i do what did i say yeah, so I find that interesting. But again, for guys listening, you know, that thing where you said I just got started and, you know, you were randomly talking about stuff, not necessarily having a clear plan. And then, you know, years and years later, you say grew up, you know, 25, 35,000 or whatever. Um, but what I laughed at and I love was uh, you said in February 2015, you started working on a paid online course, uh, which yeah. is a six week <clears throat> productivity program. And you said uh, you hosted a webinar, which was basically a total flop because only six people came to it. And it was back yeah. to the drawing board. And again, it's a great reminder that I'm sure you learned a lot from it, but it was, for whatever reason, it didn't work. But this was the cool bit when you said uh, 25th of April 2015, basically you made your first online sale. So yeah. what was that like? Because it's I remember the first time I did, I think it was the 24th of July last year. Yeah. And you, your email comes in and says, you know, somebody's bought your course. And you're like, fuck, like... Yes, yeah. it works. <laughs> it was it was very much a, a yeah, a fuck moment. <laughs> because it was um what I'd done is I'd made an email course uh, right. called the 7 day productivity plan, which was kind of like a, a lead magnet on my website. You can so, instead of just, you know, sign up to my newsletter, I came up with a 7 day program. You get going to get an email a day for 7 days with some basic tips and things. And that was just a free email course. Mm. And at the end on day 7, I said if you want to buy an ebook of this course, here's the link. You can go and do that. And it was really funny because it's like, I'm literally selling something 
to somebody that they've already had the benefit of. Yes. Which so that was kind of an interesting moment. It's like they've already done the seven day plan. I literally just repackaged it and said, right, I've just put it into an ebook for you. So if you don't want to search through your emails and go and find them, you've got the ebook. And I think maybe there was an audio. Actually, I can't even remember if I had the audio book at the time. Might have come later. Yeah. Um, and so I just repackaged that existing content. And I can't remember the pricing at the time. I think it must have been around $10 to $15, pretty, you know, on the low end, pretty, yeah. pretty cheap and reasonable. And it was a Saturday morning, the PayPal notification. I think I'd set this up maybe on the Friday or, or the, a, a, a few days before, but the PayPal notification came in on my phone. So-and-so has paid you, I think it was $9.99 actually. Right. So-and-so has paid you $9.99 <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. And so, yeah, I, I ran into, into the bedroom to tell my wife and I was like, oh, look, somebody bought my course. And it was this realization that like, I'd created something out of thin air, literally just ideas in my head I turned into an email course and an ebook and it was digital. I wasn't selling a physical product. And that was something, I, a big takeaway from the four hour work week is um, a great, if you're looking for an idea, like information, mm. knowledge is a really great thing to try and sell because you're not shipping any physical goods. You don't really have to deal with returns. Your margin is a lot higher. So I'd sold this 9.99 ebook. I pay a PayPal fee of what? 2.9% or something. Yep. The rest is pure profit. So it's this digital thing I've just shipped. I've, I'd never talked to that customer. I'd never had a one-on-one. -on -one. They mm. just signed up to my email. They'd enjoyed the course. They bought the ebook. So I'd never had a one-on-one -on -one interaction. And now I had received money. And so it was this great like moment of validation that, look, you, you can do this. Like yeah. you, you can do this. Now you, somebody's giving you money. Now you just need to like work out how to make it better and get more. Um, so it was great, great validation. And after years of, you know, trying different things and, uh, and um, it was just a really, a really positive memory that I still look back on really fondly, but a really important moment. Yeah. And, and that's what I was wondering was because sometimes, you know, on, on one level, someone would look and say, Oh, well, you know, it's only one product that you've sold for, you know, 10, 10 bucks, but it, yeah. it, that sometimes it gives you the belief. I remember, um, listening to an internet marketing guy many, many years ago. And he said he'd created something on, I don't know, let's call it Minecraft, but it was some computer game where he kind of just, like you said, he'd said he'd recorded his top seven tips on how to complete it. Uh, and, you know, put it on one of the, on the systems. And I think six months later, he woke up and he got an email saying, you know, you've just been credited $7. And that was what sparked him to be like, like, like you just said, okay, well uh, now I've got the belief that it can happen. Uh, I say, how can I scale it, do more, do it better, et cetera. So it's a, yeah, I think because a lot of people have this vision of uh, the, you know, the word passive income, but, um, which is great because, you know, you do, you know, you might be at sleep or you might be skiing or you might be at the, at the gym and, and, you know, there could be this income, but people often forget there's often a lot of hard work beforehand to get it. Yeah. Get yeah. It yeah. So where have you taken, because, um, you know, going through to productivity, how have you taken that where you've properly monetized being kind of extremely good at uh, productivity? Yeah, so after that sale, um, it wasn't until 2016 that I really earned enough to to quit my job. And, and that was the goal is I just want to earn enough from this little side project to replace my salary. Because yeah. um, I was just I was getting pretty frustrated with my, my job and um, really just wanted to be out on my own. And at the time I was focusing more on products and that chasing that kind of passive income, you know, I'd seen um, people making courses and digital products and making a lot of money that way. But what I, what I learned 
I mean, through that six week program that we mentioned, it completely flopped. It's really hard to like um, develop a course and build an audience and get that reach that you need to make a good income that way. So I thought, what can I do in the meantime, just to hit that target monthly income figure that that income that I need to quit my job, what can I do? And I thought, well, maybe there's some consulting I can do. And uh, maybe there's some, some, some services I can help people with. So, and I actually thought back to, well, I thought about what are the skills that I have? And I thought back to um, an experience at my, in this marketing role that I had at a uh, e-commerce website I was working at here in New Zealand, where we'd um, set up Asana for the business. Asana right. is a project right. management tool. We tried a few different project management tools. We hadn't really had much success with any of them. I found Asana and being the natural productivity geek that I am, I figured out how to use it and I trained everyone on how to use it. And about 50, 50 person team kind of switched over to using it. The owner of the business then paid me a bonus. He said, this has been so good. You know, he paid me a bonus. So that was again, some really good validation that like what you did was really valuable. And so that was actually, that was actually back in like 2013, 14, maybe. And so back into 2016 I thought back to that experience and thought okay well you know I had this really good experience at my job maybe other businesses would be willing to pay for support with a tool like Asana Mm. so I niched down so instead of just being like a productivity expert and just like let me help you with productivity which is quite generic quite quite hard to stand out that way I thought I'm going to be an Asana consultant I'm going to help people with Asana And so I started marketing myself that way, um, making videos on YouTube. I started, I put myself as an expert on a few directory websites and that, and then I quickly started getting booked and and getting um, inquiries. Mm -hmm. And so I I then set up Google ads to get more exposure. Let me get people searching on on Google and and get in front of people. And so I really just doubled down on it. I then started doing the same with Pipedrive, which is a CRM that I was using at my uh, a new job at the time. Uh, and so I thought, let me help people with, with this CRM. So really just specializing in those two tools, Asana and Pipedrive, I just sort of started this sort of consulting arm to my business. Yeah. And that helped me then get enough of an income to justify quitting my job and, and doing what I wanted to do full time. Um, and so that's kind of still what I do today. I mean, the, the model has changed a lot. I don't do as much one-on-one now. We have right courses and group coaching and things that we do and there are some one-on-ones I have a a few contractors that help me as well so it's a lot more scalable now Um, but that was how we transition how I transitioned was by um, really niching down into a few specific areas that I could could help people on isn't it uh, important when people talk about you know niching down because I think even when we started the whole man academy it was very much some people said oh we're trying to appeal to all men and you're like Mm -hmm. well you know, trying to appeal to all men means different wording and different language and different images and, you know, di- different feel for it. And, yeah, I guess it's one of the big things, as you said, going just to say, right, I'm, I'm on the Asana kind of train and d- doing it that way is interesting. And I just want a few with because a lot of guys I speak to through the whole Man Academy want to transition out of then, you know, their nine to five job and do something that they actually like. Um, so do you see that yourself where a lot of people that's their goal is is either starting a side hustle or being able to make enough money to at least cover their salary. Yeah, I think it, it, everyone's different. I think a lot of people, yeah, want to work for themselves. It's not for everyone. Mm. I mean, I remember having a lot of, um, I don't know if I want to use the word anxiety. I didn't suffer from anxiety, but definitely a lot of, maybe a better word would be like imposter syndrome. Right. Yeah. You know, this is where you sort of doubt your abilities. <laughs> and for the first few years, like I would say probably two years after I quit my job, 
I had this imposter syndrome where I was like, look, I'm just on a lucky streak here. This is all going to come to an end. And I was just kind of telling myself like, you're getting customers and leads right now, but that's going to, that's going to dry up. There's no way this can continue. Um, And so I was kind of constantly planning for the worst and trying to save up enough. So I had some runway just in case. And I think that it's just a part of, part of the journey, really part of the um, switch in terms of going from like a safe salaried job where you get a guaranteed paycheck every week to now, Oh, you're on your own. Like it's up to you to make the money. And yeah. so that no imposter syndrome for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's not for everyone. If you're, if you are a bit more risk adverse, if you want to, if you need that guaranteed, that security, there's nothing wrong with a job. Yeah. Um, I'm just someone that I'm happy to take on a bit of that uncertainty, a bit of that risk um, in exchange for more, uh, freedom over my time and how I work and I get to work on what I want so um yeah absolutely if, if you if you're willing to kind of take that leap if you're happy dealing with a bit of uncertainty and taking a risk yeah I think it's a, a great lifestyle if you can make it work I always think it's it's you know if someone's got that burning desire you've got to try and you've got to try it because if you don't and then you get that bit older and you always wonder what if so uh yeah. Yeah, whether it's you know and I always find it interesting because some people will say you know you should just you know, quit your job and and get you know, yeah. and and you're just like okay. Sometimes maybe, like you say, maybe you build up six months' salary uh, or six months, you know, worth of salary, uh, so that when you leave, it's you've got a bit of a buffer before you go into yeah. that. But was it for you a lot of it about? I know obviously you've got you know a family now as well. Um, but was it so you have that freedom to travel and you know and and I use the word freedom because for me I realize that's very important in my now 40s yeah. my 30s I started so was it about being able to travel yourself as well travel sure was definitely part of it I mean in in doing that sort of Tim Ferriss four-hour work week exercise like what do you want to do travel is definitely up there and actually at the start of 2017 so right after I quit my job we went traveling for five months right and actually that was a really nice way to transition to doing my own thing um so definitely travel and and that really helped really light this fire underneath me of like look, look what this is helping, enabling me to do. Like if I can work for myself, I can, I can travel, I can work from anywhere. So yeah, travel was definitely part of it. Um, but for me, the, the biggest motivator was just having complete control over my time. Yeah. And, you know, in, in, in the few jobs that I'd had before, it was, I'd always been frustrated when I would have like an idea of like, this is, you know, working in marketing, here's something I think we should do. And if I ever face like pushback in terms of, you know, corporate bureaucracy, like, oh, we need to get that signed off or like these other people need to give their opinions. That always frustrated me when I would have an idea I I believed in, I thought it was really good and then it would get shut down by the powers that be. And so that was just like, I just want to be able to have control of my time, execute on my ideas, do work that I enjoy. Um, That really was the bigger motivator is just having that kind of personal freedom and independence to, to do what I wanted. Yeah. That's so important. I think from different guys I either know who still work back in the city when I was there for a long time and or guys that I talked to you through the whole man academy is yeah some are quite happy um being an employee and doing their Monday to Friday and other guys have that feeling of they want the freedom to be able to and again it's not just the travel but kind of work when you want and not have to answer to anybody um and I remember I think I was in my mid-30s and I wanted to go on holiday and I had to ask permission at work and and yeah the desk said well, no, because he's off and he's off and you have to be here. I remember thinking like, 
I don't know how old I was, maybe 35. And I was like, I'm 35 and I have to ask permission if I can go on holiday. And it was a no. And yeah. that was like a little red flag for me. But um, well, t- talking about productivity, you know, early mornings are one of those big things which uh, I find so important for people because if you yeah. start, for me, if you start your day right, hopefully the rest of it will kind of follow. So talk to me about your, uh, you know, uh, has it evolved with your general kind of morning routine? Yeah, I mean, firstly, I would say, I mean, I, I'm an early early morning person, love getting up early, think it's a great way to start the day. And yeah, there are lots of blog posts and articles you can read about how Tim Kirk and all these big successful people, whatever that means, get up early um, to, to start their day. But at the end of the day, you have to do what works for you. So just because I'm a morning person and it works for me, if you prefer starting your day at 10 o'clock and working more in the afternoon and later, that's fine. Um, The whole thing, productivity is so personal. It's about finding what tools, what systems, what habits and routines work for you. Um, So in terms of my routine, my routine um, is pretty, pretty simple, pretty, pretty boring. Actually, I wake up usually about um, 5.30. I hit the snooze on my watch a couple of times just to ease (laughs) into the day. Um, I, sh- I get up, I shower, I have breakfast, and now I'm, I'm working from home at the moment. I used to, I've worked from co-working spaces a lot over the years, yeah. but I am home at the moment. And so then I just, uh, I just get to work. And usually I'm starting my day getting through my inbox, my email, um, with the time zone difference to a lot of my clients who are in the US. Mm. They've already started their day, so I like to get into my inbox first and, and deal yeah. with any inquiries and just kind of get inbox to zero. I get it to zero every single morning, and then I can start working on some of the the tasks and other things that I have. Um, I break up my day with some, um, uh, I, I always go for a walk in the middle of the day, which at the moment is challenging because it's really hot at the moment. So it's usually right. about 25, 30 degrees when I want to go for a walk, but yeah. uh, it's still it's still really important because I like getting that fresh air and having that reset throughout the day. Sure. Um, in the morning, I will often, although I'm not super disciplined at this, I will often meditate in the morning for just 10 minutes. So that's a nice way to start the day. Mm. Um, so no, like my, my routine's pretty... Uh, pretty simple i used to do a few more little little exercises some journaling and things but nowadays it's it's very simple pretty boring really <laughs> i guess uh, in a way it's quite it's quite good to hear when people say <clears throat> because in a way that makes it more achievable than when people have overcomplicated yeah. things and i know i've read yeah. you know miracle morning and i've uh, yeah you know, so that was a big one for me yeah and, and those have all been great but i remember thinking that I was going to do the miracle morning stuff. And that was also just after we'd had a little baby. Therefore I was having very, you know, I mean, still am sleepless nights, but I'd set those intentions tomorrow. I'm going to get up and I'm going to journal, meditate, exercise. Yeah. And then my alarm would go off and I'd have only had like three or four hours sleep. And I couldn't, you know, like I couldn't face getting all those things done. So yeah, the big thing was, is, as you say, trying to find what works for you. Um, yeah and if I could if I could just jump on that because I I read the miracle morning um, and I did it for a little while and it was really good for that point in my life where I didn't have um, we have a three-year-old boy now so but back then didn't have any and we're expecting another one by the way (laughs) having another boy in June Um, but uh, back then um, was working full-time didn't have any kids and I was very heavily focused like my entire day was focused on even when I was at work I was daydreaming about how do I start how do I get my business going so for me at the time, the miracle morning was was good because it was it motivated me and it it really gave me that drive to to get my business off the ground. So doing the meditation, the affirmations, the visualization was I definitely recommend it. Was really good at that time in my life. Yeah. Now I, I 
it's not that I don't need that. I, I'm, I could still benefit from meditating and journaling and visualizing and doing affirmations every morning. I would still get value from that, but I don't need it as much anymore because of my kind of where I am. I've got my business off the ground. I'm well-established. I've got my family. Yeah. So at this stage of my life, it's not as important to me. I guess I'd rather just have a little bit of extra sleep. <laughs> and so I think it's about part of productivity as well. And, and looking at these routines, you've got to sort of do what fits for you at your, based on the season of your life right now. Um, and like you said, don't, not putting unnecessary pressure on yourself, right. like with meditating and journaling. I mean, I do these things, but I have no, I put zero expectation on myself. I, some people want to meditate every day or read every day or journal every day. And my, my approach with all of those things is I'll do it when I feel like it. Yeah. Like if I, and I'll, I will notice, like if I'm getting distracted during the day or I'm just feeling a bit like unfocused, I'll go, right. I need to meditate a bit more and I'll, I'll maybe be a little bit more deliberate and intensive with my meditation for a week or two. Yeah. And same, same with journaling, but that that's, I don't, I set the bar really low. I don't have any expectations to do it every day. Cause I think that almost makes it unachievable and it, and yeah. that's, um, pressure that pressure gets too much and so that's my philosophy is I'll do it when I feel like it or when I when I acknowledge that I need that in my life right now I think that's good to hear because yes and I've done it myself where I'm like right I'm, I'm doing this and then like three days later I've forgotten one of the things or two of the things or I've run out of time and you kind of end up yeah. you're not even present when you're doing the other things because you're thinking I've missed them out so yes yeah, always good for guys to hear that it's you know you've got to adapt it to to whatever kind of phase of life you're in and i want yeah. to say for you one of the biggest things to state the obvious in the last two years has been people being forced to work from home now you know it's not to say that some people didn't before um, yeah but for a lot of people they would never have decided to work from home especially if you've got kids dogs delivery drivers for some guys we saw had that family and they found it really hard to have peace and quiet because your family shouldn't have to be quiet at home because it's their home then we saw some guys who lived on their own and were like, I'm really lonely because you're not, mm. you know, you're not in the office. So how have you worked that balance? Because I loved being in the office when I was with 300 <clears> other guys because we spent a lot of time pissing around, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I, I do miss that kind of part of it, which is why I think I've replaced it with the podcast talking to men around the world. But how about yeah. yourself? How, how was that kind of integrating that into your life? Yeah, it's not been without its challenges. Um, I mean, when we first, uh, I've always done a little bit of work from home. I mean, when I started working for myself, I, I started working from, a, from co-working spaces, um, partly for that, definitely same as you, for that social aspect, like right. just being around other people, um, being able to talk to other people running businesses who are maybe going through or have gone through some of the same challenges as me. So I really, really have enjoyed that. I mean, when lockdown started, gosh, we're two years into this now. So our little boy, Jay, my wife wasn't working at the time because he was still pretty young. So she was looking after him a lot. Um, he then started kindy or I guess what you call like daycare or, um, yeah. you know, yeah, so going to kindy. And that um, that was actually after our lockdowns, he started kindy. So then when when the new lockdown kicked in, my wife was then working part-time because she'd taken on some work and so she was working part-time but we no longer had kindy so 
course. That was then a real challenge was when the two of us were working, um, Haley, my wife, only, only part-time, but still had plenty to do during the day. And so that was the, the challenge is how do we juggle this? Um, so it, it just meant the two of us communicating really well. We use like a shared calendar so we, I can, we can each see when what each of us are doing. Yep. And we just try and use that calendar to kind of schedule some times. And I would even block in times for like where I wasn't going to take appointments or calls so that I could give my wife a break so that she could do some work so often uh, because I start my day early um, in the afternoon when I've kind of done the majority of my work I would I would take a break go and look after our boy Jay take him for a walk while Haley could do some work so just kind of working as a team and 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 planning our time so that each of us had an opportunity to to do what we wanted uh, was was um kind of how how we dealt with it really um now I'm working from home full time. Um, I'm actually really enjoying working from home at the moment. P- again, partly just because of the season of life that I'm in right now. You know, we have one boy. Yeah. My wife's actually pregnant with another one. Um, it's actually really nice at the moment being at home. Jay's at kindy four days a week. So <laughs> it's actually really nice because it's some time that my wife and I get to ourselves without Jay. <laughs> Even though we're actually both, I'm working full time. Haley's working part time. We still get to like after this today, we will go and get a coffee together. Yeah. Um, and it's just like a little bit of time together, even though we're kind of both working, it's a little bit of time where it's just us and we can just um and we and we don't have Jay at our on our hips or you know playing with us throughout the day. So that's that's really nice at the moment. So actually I'm really enjoying working at home right now. Um and also just being around to help Haley while she's pregnant and, you know, things are a bit tougher. So, uh, yeah, it's a kind of, vibe. And, and you, and you yeah. said the second baby's due in, in June, was it? Yeah. Yeah. A day so, before my birthday, actually. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I was talking with a, um, kind of mentoring client yesterday and their baby's due in, uh, yeah, in two months time and that's going to be their first. So he was kind of asking me, you know, what, what changes when you're a dad? And I was like, pretty much everything because, mm. You know, you especially for the first few weeks, it's such a although the baby sleeps a lot, you, you know, you're trying to be there for your partner and you've got family come around and everything. I know the second one, it's sometimes it's like yeah. you've done it once, so you kind of have been there, done that. But uh, but that that'd be an interesting one. But let me ask you about um, I know you're into your fitness as well and done CrossFit. Yeah, um, December 2015, uh, you read Unbreakable Runner, and yeah, that's that sparked something because I remember reading that. Um, you know quite a few years ago because I was doing a lot of obstacle course racing and yeah and and that's what I loved but what I realized thankfully very quickly was you didn't have to do loads of long distance training to be good at it yeah so can you tell me what you kind of got out of the book because a lot lot of people you know I recommend it to some people but most might be like oh what what do you mean unbreakable runner yeah so at the time I was uh, doing a lot of running and I had done my first half marathon which I'd, I'd done really well at. I was aiming to do a, mar- a half marathon in um, about 140, 145. Like when I was doing my training, I kind of realized this is a good goal to go for. Started the race and um, I was ch- tracking my pace using the um, running, oh, what was the app? I can't remember, some running app on my phone. Right. And it was calling out my pace and I realized like, I'm doing pretty well here. Like I actually think I could try and break an hour 30. Yeah. And um had a, had a really great race. And yeah, I came in, I think my final time was 129.55. <laughs> so fi- five seconds under yeah. 130. I think I was the last runner in under an hour and a half, which I was really happy with. So yeah. I, I, yeah. I came out of that race off with a big high, like great run. Um, okay, next year, going to do a full marathon. 
actually then late uh, a few months later did tough mudder mm. you know the, uh, the obstacle yeah of course the obstacle course yeah, yeah, you would, right. you would know tough mudder yeah Tough that, Mudder, I think I think that was about a half marathon. It was like 20, yeah. 20 Ks with obviously loads of obstacles thrown in. Yeah. And unfortunately, right before the race, I lost my keys. And so I completely <laughs> missed, I was running around trying to find them. And I completely missed the warm-up. So I kind of started the race pretty cold. And um, it's obviously a pretty, pretty grueling race, like not great terrain. And I kind of hurt my knee during that race. So I was trying to recover from that and while training for a, a full marathon. And I found, I found this book, how I actually found Unbreakable Runner was through the Tim Ferriss podcast. I listened to a great interview with the author, Brian McKenzie. Um, he was interviewed with Laird Hamilton, who's the big wave surfer and his wife, Gabby Reese. And so it's a three, three-way interview. And uh, they talked about just a lot of fitness and, um, but Brian talked about how you can use CrossFit training to condition your body for long distance runs without having to go out and pound the pavement for three hours you can use crossfit so i thought okay that sounds interesting so i picked up the book looked at his programs he then in the book says go and try a crossfit on-ramp course just to get familiar with some of the movements so i thought okay i'll do that googled found the local crossfit gym started the on-ramp program the induction and basically just fell in love with crossfit like really i i was going to do it just as a temporary thing like i'm just going to try a couple of classes very quickly realized this is so much more fun than running <laughs> and the community you're not going out as well what's that sorry a kind of a, you know community of being around yeah, it's a very the community it's you're not having to go out and pound the pavement for hours the i mean you work hard for 10 20 minutes and then you're done and yeah. so just got hooked on the on crossfit and the community i mean most most crossfit gyms have really good communities ours is like magic like we i've got some of my best friends are my crossfit friends we go camping during the summers um last this weekend just gone we spent time up at my friend's house in uh, a couple of hours north like just our crossfit friends are crossfit family we're so tight it, that's like such a great benefit of being in that community um but no um so that's uh that's how it all got started was literally through this motivation to get better at running and then just fell in love with CrossFit yeah <laughs> I think it's, it's so important I know we've on different podcasts when we've spoken to kind of guys that are strength and conditioning coaches or just fitness coaches etc and they will say you know find what you enjoy so yeah you know some people love going for long runs but um it was just before we moved out of London that my partner had joined a CrossFit gym or had done for about a year and she loved it because it was that you know going there and having the camaraderie having some competition as well because a lot of people aren't necessarily pushing themselves because they haven't got, yeah. they're not, they're not competing. Um, and a few weeks ago, I went down to a, a CrossFit gym um, down in the South of England. And it's probably the first time I had competition when we were working out for years. And I, you know, ended up literally on the floor, you know, couldn't move when I finished, I'd put that much effort in, but I yeah. took it back to, I was like, yeah, that's what happens when you have competition, you push yourself beyond what you think you can yeah so, uh, yeah i'm always saying to people you know do even if it's the races sign up for something but don't assume you have to do like you say pounding the pavements over and over again do the do the strength stuff and do some kind of interval stuff um and then you don't injure yourself as much now something you'd written about um was was self-improvement and and you just said about mentorship as well and we're very big on that here you know we have a mentorship program um we don't call it life coaching because i think that's a crap term um, but what about yourself as you've kind of 
you know, as you've gone through your business career, who have you had around you that you've kind of been able to to go to just to sometimes check if you're doing the right thing or to talk to? Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the people that's been with with me well the whole time really is my best friend uh, Chuck here in New Zealand. He he's a friend that I actually met back at school. We'd had great success working together in um, we did the Young Enterprise Scheme. Right. I think you have that in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so this business competition, we actually together we we represented New Zealand in an international case competition, and we we right. won that. So we we became great friends through that that program. And we were both doing doing the same degree at Auckland University. So we just became really good friends through through um, the end of school and into university. He's the same as me, very sort of just wants to run his own business. So he came out of university, started a couple of businesses. And so very similar mindset. So it's he's been a, an important figure because he's always somebody I've been able to lean on and just share. This is what I'm doing. He can share what he's doing. We can bounce ideas off each other. So just being around like-minded people who are kind of going through the same things as you is really is really useful um the co-working space is great because you come into contact again with people who are maybe a few years ahead of you you know maybe they have a similar business they and they've gone through some of the 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 challenges that you're going through and they can say look here's what i learned these are the mistakes to avoid so that's why i think just going to co-working spaces and, and networking events and things like that just trying to find those people who are they don't have to do exactly the same but if they've got some lessons that they can share that help you to avoid mistakes or fast track your learning. That's always um, been really good. Um, I did, I did a mentor um, program here for a couple of years, uh, New Zealand business mentors, and and just had a guy that, um, you know, met with every, every kind of quarter really just like checked in. And I would say like, these are the, these are the sort of challenges I'm going through right now. Um, And just being someone who was, is older and has loads of life experience that he can lean on. Um, I mean, I, I think that's the common thread with all of these things, isn't it? It's just finding people who have experience with what you're going through, um, whether it's a mentor or friend, people you meet at a networking event, just tapping into those people that can share their experiences. That's what I've found to be most useful. That's good to hear because I think, uh, you know, maybe some guys are kind of embarrassed to ask for, and it's not asking for help as such. It's something, it's just advice, but yeah. I remember, um, I don't know if you know who Daniel Priestley is, um, but he, uh, he'd written a couple of different books on um, being a key person of influence and creating digital assets, etc. I remember him kind of saying, you know, often there's guys who are in the older in business will actually enjoy uh, helping someone. Um, but, you know, you've got you've got to reach out to them to start with and find, you know, find someone that's maybe doing what you want to do. So, yeah, just a reminder to guys to, you know, I would say to people, just reach out to someone. And if they say no, they say no. But you never know. You might kind of be taken under the wing of someone that's doing. doing yeah, something good. I think most people, you know, if it's a business owner or someone like a business owner who you want to be a mentor, like chances are they've gone through what you're dealing with and they <laughs> they sympathize with those early days and not knowing what you're doing and having that imposter syndrome like I talked Mm. about earlier that was something I talked about with my mentor um so they've probably gone through what you're going through and and know what that feels like so they're probably more than willing to say yeah like I'd love to help you and that's when people approach me now I'm like sure I'll help you because like I know what it's like and uh if I can help in some way that's uh well you know that's a good one to uh, move on to i put on instagram about if people had any any questions to have a look at your website and what have you one of the guys james said about how would you best build an audience as an email audience at the moment 
um, you know, what, what would be a couple of ideas you could have? And actually that's useful for us as well, because we're, um, you know, I'm still learning from all these different people of how to not just build an email list because you want to have the right people on there. Yeah, I, for me, like just producing good content and being helpful has always been like the best strategy. So, you know, content comes in many different forms. So obviously I started with my blog. I then did a podcast or I do a podcast as well because I've written a blog post. It's not, it's it's a very small amount of additional work mm. to like turn on a microphone and turn my blog post into a podcast. So yeah, that way, if you if you like reading, you can read. If you like listening in, in the gym or at the, um, in the car, you can listen to the podcast. And then now YouTube is really big for me. Like I get a lot of my consulting clients through YouTube. I produce screen share videos about Asana and Pipedrive. Yeah. So whatever the medium, whatever the channel that you like, or, you know, obviously YouTube lends itself really well to the type of business that I have because I'm consulting on software. Um, whatever medium or channel you works for you, just make it a regular practice to produce good quality, regular content. Some people have some concern around, well, I don't want to give away too much advice because then people aren't going to pay me for my service or product. And I found that the opposite is true. The more you kind of give away, I mean, sure, you want to keep some secrets and some of the best bits back, but by being really generous with your, um, your content and giving real good value, People will, and that's the first thing. They're not going to sign up to your newsletter unless you've you've delivered some value. Like I won't sign up to a newsletter unless I kind of know that, okay, this person, I've watched some videos. I know they know what they're talking about. Um, so that's my biggest tip is produce good content, be helpful, and then just point people in the direction of your newsletter. Um, generally, I think it's good to have some kind of lead magnet instead of just saying, sign up to my, get my updates, which is a very unexciting call to action. <laughs> I think it's, it's good to have some kind of like, you know, sign up and get my free training series or my free ebook or whatever it might be that's yeah. a bit more interesting than just updates. Uh, it's all these little things, um, again, that I've got several friends that are either starting businesses or building them. And, you know, no, no one's taught you this stuff when you're, uh, mm. when you're at school and especially yeah. myself, you know, I, I was 36, 37 before I had to even think of this stuff. So you've not grown up with it. It's kind of the, the other thing you can do. What I found is get lost in watching YouTube videos, you know, with with people that are giving you tips and advice. And, you know, two hours have gone by and you haven't actually done any work. You've yeah. just watched more advice. So, uh, you know, the old paralysis of, uh, of analysis. But what would you, what about for yourself? Yeah. Is your Actually, if I, if I could just jump on that, because yeah. again, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with seasons. Like when I was in those early days, I was doing my miracle morning. I was really focused on um, getting my business off the ground. I was consuming a lot of content as well. Things like the Fizzle podcast, which is this great podcast that helps, you know, kind of information businesses, to, you know, like, like, like ours sort of develop your email list, get, get an audience. Um, so I was listening to that. I was listening to Pat Flynn, smart passive income, right, yep, Gary, yep. Gary V just for the hype and the hustle. <laughs> now, now I, I, I listen, I don't listen to that stuff nearly as much. Um, again, a bit like the miracle morning, not because I don't think it's not valuable. It's just at that's in that season of my life where I was at, it was really important at the time to be learning a lot, but, but you're right. You have to translate that into action and actually be doing stuff. And um, I think, yeah, if you're not careful, you end up just consuming content because it feels productive. It's like, yeah, I'm learning all this stuff. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm educating myself. And it's you're kind of tricking yourself. But actually, you need to turn that into into results and, and translate that into action and execute. So now I'm, I'm not really going through that as, as much because 
my business is off the ground. I'm up and running. Now my time is better spent um, learning about other things. Like we, we can talk about Bitcoin soon. Like I'm actually interested in these things because it's helping me to invest my income into other areas. That's more appropriate for the season of life I'm in right now. Yeah. Um, so just wanted to add that on, on the back of what you said. No, it's, yeah. it's good. And it's all these little things that uh, I would say with, with podcasts that there's lots of little golden nuggets. That, and, and one, you know, you could have let's say you've got a thousand guys listen to it. You've got some that might listen to something early on and be like, Hey, that's really useful. And then it might be something in the last five minutes that comes up that someone finds. Yeah. Is, is a little yeah. Gem. Well, go on then. Let's, let's talk about uh, crypto. Let's talk about Bitcoin because I mean, it's, mm. it's such a big thing. Um, I first heard about it when I worked in the city, didn't have a clue about it. like most people didn't. And one of our clients had bought like a hundred grand's worth of it when it was, you know, mm. that's, that's seven or eight years ago. So he, yeah. Wow. He was uh, an early early adopter, as it were. Um, but it was only really about two years ago that I properly got interested in, and actually started kind of investing in it. So what about yourself? Yeah. Where, where was your crypto journey? Where did your crypto journey start? So it started in 2017. Again, my friend Chuck, who I mentioned earlier, he'd been into it. And, and um, we, him and another friend, we actually went out for dinner and they kind of like orange pilled me, so to speak, you know? <laughs> <laughs> orange pill is the, the if you're not sure the reference, it's... Uh, uh, reference from like the matrix, the red and the the red and the blue pill, and the orange pill is the Bitcoin pill. So you orange yep. pill someone, you get them into Bitcoin. Um, so they taught me a lot about like how it works and what it's about and how it's different to other cryptocurrencies. So I got started in 2017, right before the big run up from like two or three k up to went up to about 19k that year. Um, so I got started then, and, and basically since then I've just been dollar cost averaging my way in, like weekly payments. Um, and I, I definitely find that's the best way to get in. Don't, don't worry too much about the price. Like if you believe in the long-term value of, of Bitcoin, um, uh, it, don't worry too much about the price. It is, it is going up. So some people try and play the market and get in when it's really low, but you end up missing, missing opportunities. I think dollar cost averaging your way in with regular payments is the best way. Yeah. I do, I do yeah. sometimes make additional payments with, um, when the market is down. Um, but that's how I got, that's how I got started. Yeah. And you'll notice, um, uh, I've, I've only mentioned Bitcoin. I, to this day, I only hold Bitcoin. Um, okay. We can talk about that if you want, but um, yeah, I guess you'd call me like a Bitcoin maximalist. Um, I'm not not yeah. really interested in any other cryptocurrencies. Oh, I find it interesting. And, and do you know, I was talking about this earlier with my partner because what I find I love and also find so frustrating is you can listen to three different experts who all in their own right sound like they know exactly what they're talking about and yeah one will say that bitcoin is going to half a million or more and i'm like great that would not surprise me at all one will say bitcoin's going to zero and the government are going to crush it and etc and you're like that's it's also you know could happen who knows these days especially in the last two years you know nobody rules anything out and then you have someone else say Privacy coins are the way forward, like Monero, because ultimately people will wake up to the fact that the governments are, you know, slowly uh, they're, they're overreaching on the ability to control us. And I mean, look at what's going on in uh, Canada at the moment with the truckers. You know, whether you whether people yeah. agree with what they're doing or not, that uh, eyebrows should be raised when they're having their bank accounts frozen. Yeah, definitely. Trying to, trying to you know do the same to their cryptocurrency because you're like, hey. When was this about a virus? You know, when, yeah. what happened to three weeks to flatten the curve, and now you're and now you're freezing people's bank accounts. So yeah. Uh, yeah, that's why I find it. You know, even for yourself, I find it so interesting to have different takes on it because uh, honestly, I you know invested in it because I I'm I believe in it, but nothing would surprise me these days. 
Yeah, here's my take and kind of why I'm Bitcoin only. And I'll preface this by saying, look, I'm not an expert. I don't market myself as a Bitcoin expert. Like I'm literally just regurgitating what I've learned. After. I mean, I've been learning about it now for five years, so I feel like yeah. I know a little bit, but, you know, just want to, I guess, put that disclaimer out there. But yeah. what I understand about it is like, what, what problem does Bitcoin solve or cryptocurrency? What problem does it solve? Some people think, well, you know, it's faster. Um, you know, it's, it's quicker than regular payments. And, and that's actually one of the ways people sometimes attack Bitcoin is they say Bitcoin's old, it's slow. Um, this one is quicker and cheaper. And actually, if you think about it, most people don't have a problem with the speed of their money. When you buy a coffee um, or you buy anything, really, like you're not sitting there waiting for the payment to go through, are you? You're not like you, 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 you use a credit card or a debit card and you get the, you pay and you get the coffee. So the speed of the money is not not the problem, I don't think. Um, the actual the main problem that cryptocurrency or Bitcoin solves is who controls the money? Because all fiat currencies, normal currencies like the New Zealand dollar, the Euro, the US dollar, all of them are controlled by a central bank. And that central bank, that small group of people at the bank, they get to decide the rules about how that currency works. They get to create more of it, like during times of um, stimulus, when stimulus is needed, like COVID or now the war with Russia and Ukraine, we're probably going to see a lot more money printing. Um, and so, and that's going to have an impact on inflation. It's going to erode your purchasing power because if they suddenly create more money, that amount that I've saved is now worth less. It's a smaller portion of the total pie. So my purchasing power goes down. So that I believe is the problem with money is that it's controlled by people so then bitcoin comes along and says well here's a here's it's basically a protocol it's a technology that says these are the rules and through proof of work we're getting a bit technical but through the proof of work that backs bitcoin this is the miners that consume a lot of power that protects the network and means the network can run without any central authority controlling it a lot of other cryptocurrencies use a different consensus mechanism, which is proof of stake. So they don't use power to uh, achieve consensus in the network. People stake their coins. So let's just take Ethereum, for example. They're actually switching to proof of stake with Ethereum 2.0. And so in, an, in a proof of stake system, you stake your coins. And the people who stake their coins, they get more votes or control over the network. Mm -hmm. And Ethereum and a lot of altcoins have been pre-mined. So venture capitalists and the owners of these cryptocurrencies actually control the majority of the of the pie and so they're doing all the staking they're getting the benefit and so in my mind people can dispute me they can debate me on this in my mind they haven't solved the fundamental problem which is that money is controlled by people because now in if you buy ethereum or some other old coin instead of buying the New Zealand dollar or the US dollar that's controlled by a government, you're just buying another crypto a currency that's controlled by another group of people yeah. who have who have created it. So I don't think that's why I am much more bullish on Bitcoin. It's why I want to hold my wealth in Bitcoin, because I know that that system, the rules of the game cannot be changed. Ethereum's changed its monetary policy multiple times. I know with Bitcoin, the policy cannot change. It has a fixed supply. Um, and that's where I want to put my wealth because I know that that system cannot be tampered with. I think it's so interesting. And even as you're talking, it, it kind of 
uh, I'll find out, you know, I learned something and that's why it's great to talk to different people. I interviewed a guy called Max Wright, who um, has got a big cryptocurrency channel. And, um, you know, he felt like, I mean, he's massively down the rabbit hole of the, how controlled the banking system is and how rigged it is and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, yeah, that's why it's always good to talk to different guys. And I, I enjoy now getting around people that are in, even interested in crypto because I've found that those people may be a little bit more awake to how the world works. Um, and they understand that there is another way and just putting your money in your bank isn't the only option. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I had a great, uh, I had a great um, expression the other day because they, with investments, this is not just Bitcoin. People often tell you only invest what you're willing to lose. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I heard this expression, which is only keep in the bank what you're willing to lose. <laughs> Because and it was after this Canada, the Canada froze the funds. It's like, well, if you leave money in the bank, you know, there's What's a central the authority who can shut you down and say you can't spend your money. Well, I wanted to ask you, Paul, with um, have your banks stopped you from transferring money to crypto exchanges? Because we saw over here, even my dad mm. had it, where like yeah. Barclays and I think TSB and maybe NatWest or it was. Basically, this is what will make people laugh if they think about it for a minute. They said. We are, you know, we're protecting your money for you because we don't want you to lose your money. Therefore, we're stopping you from transferring it to crypto exchanges. And you say, yeah. but you don't mind me transferring it to betting sites and you don't mind me transferring yeah. it if I buy the lottery, which is, you know, a millions to one. The likely is I'm going to lose all that money. So at what point have you started caring about how I spend my money or is it yeah. competition for you? Yeah. Or even look at um, Meta, Facebook, you know, which is now Meta, their stock tanked was it 25% or something ridiculous the other day? Yeah. And, and this is an established company that, you know, publicly traded company. And, you know, people want to protect you from Bitcoin because that's volatile. Well, look what happened to Meta. <laughs> um, I mean, look what Amazon, I, I heard this on a podcast the other day. So um, I'm just, again, repeating what I've heard. But I think the Amazon stock, guess how many times Amazon stock decreased 50%, over 50% from its inception to where we are today? Any ideas? I would, because your brain would be like, oh, hardly any, but then I bet yeah. it's actually loaded. It's actually something. been, it's actually been like f over five times. Really? Amazon's stock has cut fifty percent. It's actually reduced eighty percent twice. Yeah, and, which is kind of similar to what we've seen in Bitcoin. <clears throat> you have these yeah, big pullbacks in the price. Yeah, but volatility is the <clears throat> price you pay, or it, uh, for for the risk for that uh, that um, huge potential upside. Yes. So you have to take a very long-term view. You have to take a very long-term view with it. But no, to come back to your question, I haven't had any issues here in New Zealand. I have heard that in the UK. Um, with the exchange that I use here in New Zealand, it's a New Zealand exchange. The only thing they say is you do have to use a bank account in your personal name. You right. can't use a company account or uh, I guess like an account under a trust or something. And so I'm very thankful that I never set up a business account. I just have, it's technically a personal bank account, which I use for my business. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad I never set up a, a business bank account for that reason. Don't take that as advice. You need to check with your accountant <laughs> yeah. if that's okay. Um, it is It is here. Um, because then I can transfer funds from my business, which is under my personal account. It's under a personal account um, into Bitcoin. So no, I've, I've never had any issues. But I mean, I look at that and I just interpret that as, look, the banks are probably seeing the writing on the wall a little bit in terms of they stand to lose because with Bitcoin or crypto, you can be your own bank. You know, you can hold, you can hold with, with Bitcoin, you hold the keys, you hold the funds. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't have to use them as a custodian. I mean, for what it's worth, I think banks should be looking at like 
what services they can provide on top of Bitcoin. Because we see services now like Ledin and BlockFi, where you can actually deposit crypto and they can hold that as collateral and you can get a loan against that. Yeah. Or they're paying, they're paying um, savings. They're paying like 9% interest on Bitcoin deposits. So that's what I think. Banks should be looking at this as a massive opportunity. But um, I think they're probably seeing it more as a, a big threat, which is why they're trying to stop you. Well, do you know what? I mean, I don't know you... Um... I'll, uh, I'll pull it up in a minute with the interview because I'm sure you've got stuff to do. But what I found really interesting was um, in this country, I know there's like a limit on if banks collapse, they'll say, I think it's let's let's say 85,000, assuming that people have got 85,000 in their bank account. Um, and then I asked people, well, if the bank, if, you know, let's say it's Barclays, if they collapsed, then I say you'll get your at least your 85,000 is protected. And they say, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. protected. And I say, OK, where does that money come from? And they say, uh, well, I don't, I don't know. And I say, well, it's a, it's a, it's a pool of money that all the other banks and institutions pay into, that so gives you that protection money. They're like, okay, great. I said, but what if all the other banks collapse as well? Then there's no one to pay into the pool. Therefore, there's no money coming back. And yeah. People go, oh, so what happened then? I say, well, you're fucked, and you won't have any money left. Yeah. And then it, then, then it gets interesting. Yeah. I kind of look at it right now as like the world is a crazy place right now. It is <laughs> insane. Like. We've got COVID that's been happening for the last two years, which has resulted in massive amounts of stimulus, like all over the world, the US, Europe, New Zealand, everyone's been printing money like crazy to, to prop up the economy because politicians are short-sighted. Short they want to just get reelected. They can't handle the idea of a recession, so they have to keep the economy going. Um, and that results in, like we talked about earlier, massive inflation, which we're seeing now. And the result is we, the people, our purchasing power gets eroded so and then we've got you know war with russia and ukraine kicking off you've got social unrest you've got protests handling everywhere there is a revolution coming there's you know if you've read the book like the fourth turning these this idea that um the economy and 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 uh kind of go not just the economy but like um the political sphere and just social dynamics go through these big like 80 year cycles where you go through like post-war post-world war ii you go through this spring and summer this booming middle class but then people get greedy and complacent and then you get into sort of autumn winter where there's more social unrest which is kind of the phase that we're in right now yeah. so um and i i do think we're probably things are probably going to get a little bit worse before they get better but all that to say the world is this very uncertain place right now and for me, one of the reasons I like Bitcoin is that I can take the money from my business and my savings and I can just opt out of that craziness. Like I can literally remove my money from the economy because everything else that you can invest in, like property, stocks, bonds, everything's kind of influenced by the economy. And I, yeah, OK, to it. Yes, Bitcoin is as well. But the great thing about Bitcoin is like its its policy is fixed, like we talked about earlier. It's it cannot be changed. It's got this fixed supply of 21 million coins, the rules, the um, supply schedule, all of that is fixed in stone and no amount of lobbying power, no number of politicians can change that. So I like putting my money into that because it's a great way of just opting out of the economy and going, look, I don't like this craziness. I'm just going to use technology and, and maths and this amazing network of computers around the world to protect my wealth. I like it. And, and I think for guys listening, you know, I know some of the guys, because I get messages, are interested in crypto and have got involved. Others are like, I'm totally clueless. I don't know where to start. 
Um, but I was thinking, you know, the more people you listen to who talk about it, the more you're going to build up your own idea. Um, yeah. And then, you know, if you're going to put money into it or any other kind of coins, therefore you can, what's your, you know, what's your appetite for risk? Are you going to diversify yeah. into precious metals and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it sounds like there's another crypto podcast in there somewhere. But um, right, well, yeah. look, I'm going to let you go. So I appreciate all your uh, time. What's your plan straight after this? You say you might go for a quick coffee. coffee. Yeah, we're going to go. My wife and I are going to go get a coffee and then... Uh just come home and get into some work for the rest of the day. Yeah. Lovely stuff. And what's the best if, uh, if guys wanted to get hold of you, just head straight to your website. Yeah. My website, paulminers.com. I'm on Twitter at paulminers and YouTube. Just type in my name there as well. Lovely. Right. Well, I'm going to let you go. I appreciate all your time. And I always say, hopefully at some point in the future, we will, uh, we will cross paths for a, uh, for a man hug. Um, yeah. But yeah. For the guys <laughs> listening, reach out to Paul, if you've got any uh, questions or want to work with him and, uh, and we will catch you soon. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Paul. Cheers, Ed. Thanks for listening. Remember to sign up to our game-changing weekly e-letter that's read by men around the world. Sign up at wholemanacademy.com forward slash movement. Until next time.